I want to say before we start the message today that uh, we believe the Bible here. And uh, if you're a guest, I want you to know, or if you're not a guest, I want you to know that this is the only book in existence or has ever been in existence or ever will be in existence that literally tells the future. There are literally hundreds and thousands of prophecies in here that are extremely detailed and they're told in the future. And, and uh, this is a supernatural book. It's not magical. But the author of this book also happens to be the one who commands time and space. And that's how a book can literally be correct 100% of the time and tell the truth about the future. Um, so it's full of all kinds of things. It's full of all kinds of supernatural things. And in fact, today we're going to be talking about some supernatural things. If you um, are not a regular church person, you might be going, wow, they're talking about some pretty weird stuff today in church, weren't they? And uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, we're going to talk about some weird stuff today in church. I think, I think it's important for us as a church family to study the entire counsel of the Word of God. Now, we're going to study what it says. We're going to talk about the fact that God is supernatural. And uh, nobody here has any trouble with the idea that miracles have, have happened in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Nobody here really struggles with that. But sometimes we start talking about the miraculous, the supernatural, and it's a little bit odd to us from where we sit. And we think, oh, I just don't know about that. Or we see things or we hear things in the news and we think, oh, wow, does that really represent what the God of the Bible is and who he is? And we start wondering. And so I just want to say in advance uh, that uh, we're going to be forthright about something that's supernatural today because I've been uh, in a series, and today wraps up our series about the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I'm not, this is not a series about the weird things, but there are, we're going to talk today about some supernatural things. So, okay, let's just do a little bit of quick review. And I'm going to read just a couple of scriptures to you. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. The Greek word is parakletos. And I say that because it's going to come up over and over again. To be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Here's Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then he says, uh, he says later in John 16, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the paracletos won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So here's Jesus again, referring to the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come He's speaking here to believers, people who already are in relationship with Jesus. Their eternity is now an accomplished thing, according to the word of God. He's speaking to these believers, and he's talking about something else that's going to happen, a second experience. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And he says, in fact, it's better for you that I leave. It's better for you he's with you than me. That's an amazing statement. In fact, all through scripture, you see if you look carefully, quietly, the Holy Spirit continually pointing towards Jesus. It's not very many places in Scripture you see Jesus pointing towards the Holy Spirit. But here he is, saying it's good, good for us if the Holy Spirit comes. Then he goes on to say this to them in Acts. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, I'm a personal kind of, let me step out of this message for a minute. I'm still recovering from my cold, so I'm going to once in a while have to drink water. That's okay, right? I think I'm going to do that right now. And I, I, part of the problem was that during worship, I aban- abandoned just a little bit too much, and um, I probably should have saved my voice, so I hope that my voice makes it through so that you don't have to endure through a seven-minute sermon. <laughs> Some of you, come on, you got hours till the football game starts. Relax. Okay. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is out of Acts. Suddenly a sound like the, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Wow. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, enabled them in Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 4. Today, we're going to take a look at what it means to live a spirit-filled life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So um, if I backtrack a little bit and talk about, um, um, about this series and what it, what it means in the Word of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit, week one we talked about the fact that Jesus said it's actually best for you if he goes away so that he can send the counselor, the comforter, the spirit of truth to be with you and to be in you. It's the promise Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. And he used the, the, the word paraclete, which means comforter, comforter, friend, counselor, advocate. That's how he described um, the Holy Spirit. The second week, we talked about when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes in power. What kind of power? He gives you power to, to share um, the truth about salvation boldly. More than you'd be comfortable with. Something in the Holy Spirit will get in you and be able to share in a relevant way to people who don't know the Lord um, the truth about Scripture. And he gives you the power to have hope somehow. When everything around you says, this is hopeless. Okay? You've experienced this. Many of you, maybe most of you, maybe all of you. I don't know. You've experienced times when your your circumstances said, this is bleak. Yet, you're filled with hope. How? Well, okay, the Holy Spirit's in there. Or, and the power to know the fullness of God. And then last week, we talked about spiritual gifts. We uh, didn't list them all, but we spent quite a bit of time on many of them. Prophecy, healing, faith, um, leadership, serving, all of those kinds of things. And we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the trigger finger, remember? <laughs> self-control. And... The scripture basically says, and Jesus' words to you and me, is that the Holy Spirit's coming to you and to be with you and to be in you. What a terrific promise. And this is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. Sounds okay, doesn't it? Sounds really pretty good. Anyway, so um, that's pretty amazing to uh, people who, who are believers and open their hearts to the Lord. Then the Bible says... They spoke in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And at that very moment, things got pretty tricky, didn't they? I mean, admit it. They got kind of tricky then. Um, actually, here's what was, what, was, what was going on there in, in Acts, verse, or Acts chapter 2. They were speaking other human languages. You uh, read the story there and you'll see that there were Jews from all over the known world 
that had assembled and they were together. And what was going on as they heard these people speaking in tongues, these other Jews heard those people speaking in their own foreign language, their own language, and, and they hadn't been taught the language. Okay, so imagine you're um, on a uh, vacation somewhere in, you know, Cambodia. And for the most of the time, you're looking for somebody that speaks English because you don't know. And you happen to go to a cute little um, place somewhere and you feel, and, and all, these, all of a sudden these people start speaking English. And maybe you're from Alabama and they've even got your dialect going. <laughs> go Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide, right, right, right. I always get that wrong. It's not Go Tide, it's Roll Tide, right? Okay, so if you have any questions about that, Talk to Eric about that. Roll tight. <laughs> but imagine, without ever having learned English, they start speaking it fluently and clearly. Explain that. You can't. There is something supernatural going on. Now, why would the, why would the spirit of the living God decide to demonstrate that miraculous thing? I don't know. Maybe somebody really smart, you know, you could maybe figure it out. And maybe if I applied myself enough, I could come up with some good reasons why God would select that particular manifestation of the miraculous. I mean, I could speculate. The most unruly, hardest to control member of my body is right there. Maybe that's why God says, I'll I'll take the hardest part of you, Terry, to harness you. And um, you'll just have to give that up and let me do my thing. You know, it's a hard thing. Nevertheless, I don't know what the reason is. We should maybe study at some point. But something miraculous, hard to explain, is going on now. <sighs> wow. Okay, so here I am, this human being. Now we've got to start thinking this through. And uh, here's what's going on. These guys hear these people speaking these other languages. It's kind of sounds kind of chaotic. You hear all kinds of stuff you don't understand. And here's what the word says. It says... In verse 13, their conclusion was this. These guys must be drunk. Everybody say drunk. (laughs) That was really weird, saying the word drunk in church. What are you doing that for? Okay. (laughs) So, okay, so at 9 o'clock in the morning, and Peter says, hold it. These guys are not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and... Here's what that meant to them. Nine o'clock was the, the, in the morning was the time of public prayer. And traditionally, people didn't eat or drink in the morning until after morning prayer. I mean, th- the wine of the day was not as potent as it is today. To get drunk by nine, you would have had to start. I mean, there was all kinds of reasons. But the point was Peter saying, hold on. It's not that they're drunk. <coughs> they're doing something supernatural that the Holy Spirit has empowered them to do. People were confused. And here we are a couple thousand years later confused about the very same topic. Here we are. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, chances are, if you've been in the body of Christ, you've been in the church for any length of time at all, you have been exposed to this topic. Maybe you have resolved it in your soul and you're comfortable and you're at peace with it. Maybe you still have questions about it. But you may have also seen the pendulum swing around different places where um, some Christians actually say to be, Spirit-filled, whatever that means, you must speak in tongues. 
If you want to be spirit-filled, you've got to speak in tongues. Or they say, uh, they ask you the question, have you been spirit-filled with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Okay, I get that and I understand that, but that's one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people going, oh, man, this is just too weird. It's not natural. It's not normal. I don't get it. I'm confused. It, could it be the devil? I mean, there are denominations that that's their position. I mean, so we got this big, wide spectrum and there are people that think things all over that place. Well, have you ever been in a place? Have you ever been in a church? Or, how many of you have ever been in a place where you've heard people speaking in tongues? Lots. Wow. Okay. How many of you have ever been in a time in a place where you've heard people speaking in tongues and, or you've heard about it and you thought, no, nah, I don't know. I'm the only one? Yeah, okay. Me. I mean, I have been there. So I think what we ought to do is let's just see what the Bible says about tongues. Okay? Now, <laughs> I knew when I was preparing for this message that uh, we would have visitors. Um, and uh, you just happen to catch us on a day when, as a family, we're just going to look at something that maybe the world thinks we're weird for. I want you to understand we're not going to be weird here. We will not be weird in this church. I hope at times we find ourselves experiencing the supernatural. In fact, I know we do. I see it. I see it happening. But I want, if any of you are here and you're guests, you're going, what's going to go on in the next 30 minutes? Just relax. I'm just going to chat for a few minutes, and we're going to have some cake. Okay? <laughs> it's going to be that simple. Okay? It's that simple. Okay, so... Um, Okay, so let's see what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. Okay, first and foremost, Scripture is pretty clear. It says, when someone speaks in tongues publicly, there must be an interpretation. Now here's what it says right there in 1 Corinthians. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So basically it says this, that, uh, you know, if... Um, you know, if, if, there, if there's not going to be an interpretation, you don't have the interpretation, you don't know that there's going to be an interpretation, the orderly thing is you just quietly pray before the Lord, you, yourself. It's not a public thing to do. It says, if anyone has a message in tongues, there has to be an interpretation. Now, frankly, I've been in church services where that didn't happen. I've actually been in church services where the leader said has said publicly, everybody... Pray in tongues. Or everybody sing in tongues. And I've heard it start up and, and it's going. And the problem is, and scripture does, demonstrates this, it says that if there are any unbelievers present, they're going to be wondering, what is going on here? What is going on here? The Bible says at most two or three and that there must be an interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14 says, So if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yeah, of course they will. They don't understand. And I've been in, in uh, church services, and maybe some of you have too, um, where you've heard somebody stand up or not, and give a loud, there just be, be this loud utterance of a tongue. Maybe something prophetic, but it's this tongue. And um, then there's this quiet, this wait. And uh, I watched a mature leader up front say, okay, is there an interpretation? And no interpretation came forth. 
And then I've seen the leader look at the person who gave the tongue and say, do you have the interpretation? Here's why that was asked. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. And if no interpretation came out, and I actually watched this happen once or twice. I've seen it once or twice in my life where the leader then graciously said, okay, um, I appreciate your heart and your desire, but the scripture says there has to be an interpretation. So that was out of order. It's out of order. So um, kind of scary territory to see somebody be brave enough to do that in a service, but then to actually make a mistake. And I just want to say, People make mistakes. They do make mistakes. Right-hearted people make mistakes. I have made mistakes. Have you made? Come on. We all have made mistakes. And I want to be very careful about this because it's a little bit weird and it's a little odd. I just want to say that, um, that the church shouldn't be a place to uh, feel that if you ever make a mistake in life, oh, woe is me. I can never, you know, what, what am I going to do? I want you to know that, we're going to be doing things decently and in order here, as Scripture tells us. But I also don't want you to be afraid that if you ever make a mistake, that it's over for you. I don't know if my heart's getting through to you here, okay? Okay, I just want you to know the church needs to be a safe place for people to grow up in, in the Lord. Interestingly enough, though, Scripture warns us not to forbid people. We could just say, well, it would be too weird. Let's just never have tongues, never do any of that. Scripture warns us about that. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So basically Paul says, if somebody speaks out publicly, there's got to be an interpretation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, a person who speaks in tongues, oh, this is the second point I wanted to make. When someone speaks in tongues. Okay, so the second point is that when speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking. Not the entire church. That's the second point about, about tongues. First Corinthians 14 says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on prophecy today. Prophecy is not predicting the future. Okay, it's different than that, and we, we can explore that at some point. But the point, the point that Paul is making here is that the tongue um, needs to be interpreted, and, and the tongue is strengthening for the person um, without the interpretation. It's, it's strengthening for that person, not for the entire church. So here we are a couple thousand years later, like I said before, and we're still, um, still examining th- these things. Last week we talked about chapter 12, and we talked about many of the gifts. Today, we've been spending a little bit of time in chapter 14, which talks about the orderly use of the gifts. And uh, I just find it interesting. This is something, if you stand back and uh, away from the words of the scripture and look at the structure, you've got a chapter 12 and a chapter 14 sandwich. With chapter 13 falls in between, right? You've got your math down, 12, 13, 14. Chapter 13 is famous as the love chapter. Chapter 13 is the one that you've heard at most weddings. You hear snippets. You know, right? Chapter 13, how fascinating that the Lord would say, here are the gifts of the Spirit. Here's what they are. Love, here's how the gifts operate. 
I, I see something in that structure. I see something intentional there about the Lord. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 starts out, the Lord starts talking about tongues in the context of love. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, it's like somebody banging a cymbal up against my ears. That's a paraphrase, but it's an accurate paraphrase. He says, without love, these gifts hurt and they clatter and they're not acceptable and they cause pain and they disrupt. I'm extrapolating on that one, right? Okay, but you get my point. Here we have a, a, a list of gifts, a, a chapter on love, and then a chapter on the, on the correct operation of the gift. I think the whole thing is one continuous, one continuous topic. And he explains those gifts, uh, and, and, and there's this, there must have been a tension present because you can see it actually in uh, chapter 14, verse 18. He says this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's a 2,000 to 1 ratio for those of you who like math, okay? It's like, it's 2,000 times better to speak Words, I mean, five versus, I mean, 10,000, that's, that's, that's a, that's a big difference. He's basically pointing out the value of prophecy and, um, and, and nudging that way. So here's the question many people say to me, Terry, do you believe that the gift of tongues is valid for today? Answer? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But when we speak about a spirit-filled life, there is so much confusion about this one gift. And so um, I get these questions, these follow-up questions, and I want to take those two follow-up questions that people ask me and just flop them out on the table and let's just talk about it. One, do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? The answer is no. I believe the answer is no. Now, um, here's a little bit of Foursquare um, I, dirty laundry is probably the wrong word, but I'll use that. I mean, but here's a little bit of Foursquare history. When I first got licensed as a pastor, um, you know, you got this, you fill in your name and your address and blah, blah, blah. And do you basically believe um, a, a, a real broad statement? You don't just fill out the application to get licensed, by the way, but this is the, like the last crossing the T dot in the I step. And then there's this statement right before you sign. Do you believe in the filling of the Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues? Yes, no. <laughs> and uh, this is a number of years ago, and I'm brand new, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I know the correct answer to get the license is yes, but I was struggling. I was struggling because I knew people who I knew were full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, but didn't speak in tongues. And although you can make a case that on Pentecost, all of them had, we're speaking in tongues, they all also had fire on their heads, right? We could say that the initial evidence is that your head, never mind, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I don't mean to make fun of that doctrinal position. I, I just would tell you that there was this concussion. And as a man of integrity, to get a pastoral license, I didn't want to lie. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Right? Okay. So um, I said uh, to my overseer, um, excuse me, but 
I have a question. And I said, here's my dilemma. And so he coached me and led me about how to deal with that issue. Okay, that was 25 years ago. Now today, if you want to go through the Foursquare processing a, a, a license, the question's gone. Because way too many pastors were saying, hold on a minute. I get the position, but it's very difficult to support that position that dogmatically with Scripture. And so Foursquare said, yeah, okay. So even our own denomination has had struggle doctrinally on that topic. So if the answer is no, you don't have to be spirit-filled or speak in tongues to be spirit-filled, which is first off, by the way, that's not my business, whether you're spirit-filled. I want you to be, but it's not up to me to assess whether you are. And it's not up to you to assess whether somebody to your left or your right is. But, but the question is, how do you know if somebody's spirit-filled? I'll give you my opinion about that. I believe the very best evidence of whether somebody is spirit-filled is this. They will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. <laughs> See, there's nine, and if you start here, it always ends on the trigger finger, Right? Okay, whatever. It works for me, okay? That works for me. But that's how I believe a spirit-filled person, I mean, that's one, I think that's the best way to know whether a spirit-filled, a person is spirit-filled. They should be demonstrating all of those fruits, not necessarily all of them at, at the level 10 on a 1 to 10 scale. I mean, Jesus would do a 10 out of 10 on all nine. I'm not. I'm trying, I want to be, and I hope my numbers are going up. But that, I believe, is the best way. So for the rest of our few minutes here together, I want to talk about how we live a spirit-filled life, what's it look like, what's it mean, okay? Take a couple minutes on that. Galatians 5, 16 says this. Um, So I say, live by the Spirit, or you could say be filled with the Spirit, or walk with the Spirit, or keep in step with the Spirit, or be led. And you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. In other words, you won't be continuing to live the way you used to. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So for those of you who are believers... When that moment came and you opened your heart to the Lord and you became born again, which, 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 which means that you, you were renewed, that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life, that your eternity, when that happened, you then at that point encountered the very real presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in a new and a fresh way. Whether you felt it or not, the Holy Spirit moved into your circumstances and into your life. That's what happened there. You know, some of us might look around at the people around us and say, well, God, that guy over there, he, uh, he seems so much closer to God than me. And, uh, you know, they seem, he seems to walk in a more power. He seems to, you know, have more faith. He overcomes sin more easily. I mean, I look around and I see that. Why is it that I seem to struggle when these things come in my life? And that person is always surrounded by faith and power. Why is that? And the possible possibility is, if you look around and you're thinking that sometimes, is that maybe that person is more yielded in their heart to the power and the working spirit in their life. 
you know, our fleshly nature and the Holy Spirit have a conflict. There's kind of a war going on. The Spirit leads us to do the right thing, and sometimes we just don't want to do it. <laughs> just me and Terry in the back. Everybody else says, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Terry, because we're, you know, but she's nodding her head. Thanks for being with me on that, sis. Anyway, so, um, okay, so, so it, where it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, I'm not telling you that it's a sin to drink alcohol. We've talked about that, and uh, we got good balance on that before. But l- interesting, uh, interesting that the, the, the Jews that were present that day, that's what they assumed. And Paul later comes and says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Um, although the people think they were drunk with wine, he's saying, no, don't be, be that. I, I think, and he says, be filled instead with the Holy Spirit. I think like, that Paul liked that metaphor. And here's why. When you are drunk, you are under the influence. Our society calls it being under the influence. In this case, alcohol. When someone who is uh, being influenced by alcohol, they think differently. They act differently. They behave differently, right? You, you agree with me. When they're under the influence, their thoughts are different. Their words are different. Their, their behavior, they're all different. So Paul uses this imagery. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with Holy Spirit. In other words, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit instead of alcohol. It's a great idea. It's a great one. Because when you're under the influence, you think differently. You act differently. You behave differently. Don't be drunk. Be filled. And you know, um, I think people drink alcohol for lots of different reasons, but ones that drink to the point of getting tipsy or drunk, um, they do that for a lot of reasons too. Sometimes they do that because um, it takes the edge off of the strain. They find some comfort there. Or maybe they find... um, all of the rest of the time, they lack confidence, but then when they've had a couple of drinks, a few drinks, they start feeling confident, and they like the way that makes them feel. And uh, I want to suggest that the same feelings can be achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same comfort from the strains of life, the same relief from the pressures, the same in fact, more hope to overcome hopelessness is available by the Holy Spirit than alcohol will ever provide. Holy Spirit can comfort you in righteousness. That very Spirit of God is willing to carry you through the hardest circumstances in a very safe place. The thing, the difference is this. Alcohol will give you overconfidence to do things that you're not going to be able to do, <laughs> right? It will make you think you can do things that you can't do. The Holy Spirit instead will give you the actual ability to do things you could never accomplish on your own. That's a pretty big difference. Basically, it's this. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to live a supernatural life in a very natural world. So don't be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Um. 
Second thing, second major question I get on this, and we're about done here. At the moment of salvation, are you already filled with all that there is of the Holy Spirit, or is there actually a second blessing? There's a lot of debate all over the church on this topic, and I will say to you, yes, there is a second experience. Jesus was speaking to already saved believers, saying, wait, and the gift will come. For them, it was clearly a second experience, and it is. But here's the thing. I think it's silly to say that it's a second experience, because I really believe it's a second, and a third, and an eighth, and a 27th, and a 3,429th, and on, and on, and on. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful, is not a one-time event that I can look back to and say, yeah, this happened to me 30 years ago. Because it needs to have happened to me 30 minutes ago. And it did. It did. It happened during worship, where I, f- I felt things the Holy Spirit doing things in me because I decided to abandon myself, whether I'd have a voice to preach with or not, which was unwise, but I'm being, you know, the Lord's carrying me. I mean, um, I I just, I I just knew the Holy Spirit was, was, was present and that there were things that were, the Holy Spirit was praying for and advocating for and comforting me for that maybe my intellect didn't have together, but I, I knew the presence was there. Being filled is a continuing ongoing work of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life to sanctify you and to make you more like Christ. And I want to say this to mostly believers. Some of you need to take another drink of the Holy Spirit. You just need to say, okay, I know. I need to take another drink of the Holy Spirit. So how do you do this? There's lots of ways. I mean, there's not a magical formula. I think you start by being open and willing. You choose it. You know, you can sing a song in his presence. You can be aware of his voice. You pray with your family. You can, you know, serve someone. You can use your gifts. There's all kinds of things you can do, but it really starts with a willingness. It really starts. Some of you need to take another drink. I need to take another drink. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What kind of a difference will this make in your life? Let me tell you a quick Terry's history story, and then, um, and then we'll pray and be done. Uh, I hope you don't get tired of hearing these silly stories about me in my past, but, um, but this is one from about my high school days. Um, I, um, for whatever reason, kind of cruised through high school pretty easily. Um, I didn't... I didn't have to, I, I, in fact, I, I just didn't study. And it wasn't because, um, I, I just didn't have to study. I was able to take classes and get really very, very good grades without doing homework and without studying. So I cruised. And, um, you know, I was, I was taking hard classes and getting straight A's and so forth. And so I thought I was, you know, I thought I was the stuff, right? <laughs> and... Um, I thought, you know, I've got this thing, this thing about life pretty well wired down and was pretty cocky, not very open to anybody telling me anything about anything. I just was too smart and wise for everybody around me. In fact, I was smarter and wiser than ever, smarter and wiser than my mother and my father. <laughs> everybody, I had, I had life pretty well wired down.
And at, 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 this, at this point somewhere in the early part of my senior year in high school, I started having this out of the blue desire to read the Bible. Out of the blue. Nobody said anything to me. Now, I knew, I found out later that my mother was praying, God, put the hunger for your word into my son. That's a great mother's prayer. It's, it's great mother's prayer. And so I'm reading through, and here's, 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 I can almost remember where I was sitting when I read this. I'm reading through, and I'm just kind of devouring it, which was odd for me. It was so a, a, a different than my lifestyle at the time. And I come to 1 Kings. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Now, I didn't know who Solomon was. Maybe you're smart, and you knew who I didn't know who Solomon was. And I get to this point and I stop in the scripture and I'm, I'm this really smart, 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 wise guy, right? And I'm, and I'm thinking, now I'm kind of going along with the story and I'm thinking, well, if this guy has anything, any salt at all, he's going to ask God for wisdom. Okay, I keep reading. I get down a few more verses. 1 Kings 3.10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. Yeah, Solomon, my man. I'm thinking, wow, Solomon is as smart as me. (laughs) Right? You laugh. I was thinking it. I will give you what you asked for, and I'll give you what you didn't ask for, wisdom and riches. I'm thinking, you know, this sounds like Aladdin. God says to Solomon, make a wish. He could have asked for money. He could have asked for fame. He could have said, squash my enemies. No, he asked for wisdom, which was what was my heart that I would have asked for if I had been Solomon, I think, when I read the story. And I'm thinking, wow, Solomon is as smart as me. And I'm thinking this. And then I was lovingly, strongly convicted by the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit now moving into my life saying, you think you're smart. You think you're wise. You don't know anything. You're a punk kid. This is how the Lord needed to talk to me. This is my language. You're a punk kid and you'll never amount to anything unless you really figure out the wise things of life. And if you want to do that, you have no chance if you try to do it without me. That was the Holy Spirit speaking my language right in my grill where I needed it. There wasn't any other way that I would hear it. It was a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confronted me and convicted me and I was drawn in and I realized my need for God. That was the work, the convicting, saving work of the Holy Spirit who drew me in. And it wasn't enough. I thought, I'm in for the whole thing here, God. I want more than my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want relationship. I don't want to wait. I said, Lord, I want to know. And I opened my heart, not only to the Lord, but then I pursued the gift that Jesus described in the book of Acts. Some of you need to take a second drink or a third or an 800th. You need to take another drink. I want to pray with you. But I want to say this to you too. This gift that Jesus promised 
was a promise to you. It wasn't to a bunch of guys waiting in an upper room. It was a promise to you. And you can leave the gift on the table if you want, but that's just not very wise. The Holy Spirit loves you, and God wants to lead you. Let's pray. Lord, how loving you are. How loving you are. And today we've talked about this gift of tongues, and it's supernatural, and it seems odd, it seems weird sometimes, and it's, it's just not something that we can wrap our intellect around. And I suppose you like it that way. I suppose you like the fact that you don't have to explain yourself to us. Yet somehow, God, you do. You explain yourself by your love to us. So, Lord, I just pray right now that you would draw hearts to you just the way you have with me and with so many in this room. I pray, God, for um, people right now who are saying, okay, I think I've sat on the periphery a little longer than I ought to, and I do need to, to know the power of this gift. We've talked, Lord, about the power that you come with. We've talked about all of the many different gifts. We've talked about the promise that it's for every believer. So, Lord, I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands, but as people in this room are praying and they're maybe confessing it completely privately within their heart, saying, yes, I need, I need to walk closely and I need to drink another drink of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you see those responses and I just know that you'll honor them. I pray over them now. I pray that hell will not be able to somehow snatch that away. In the name of Jesus, I ask God for the release of the gifts that the Spirit wills. But I ask God for a relationship that would be marked by the fruit of the Spirit especially. And for anyone here, God, who would say, okay, I know there's some things I've heard, some things I've, I, I, I know to be true, some things that have really bugged me, yet I also know I need God in my life. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, I say this to you while everybody's praying. The word says that your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life, that all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. It doesn't mean you stand up in church and yell out his name. It just means that you say quietly and sincerely to God, I need you, Lord, and I'm grateful for Jesus. That's all that it takes. So I I would say, say to you, say that today in your heart, open your heart to the Lord, and then share it with somebody. The word says that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved doesn't mean you need to tell somebody right this minute, but sometime today, say, you know what, I open my heart to the Lord. God, I, I just thank you for the loving plan you have to take us and, and in spite of our flesh, save us and retrieve us because of your worth for us. Now, I want you to keep your eyes closed, church, as Eric sings this song, and just let the Holy Spirit work this work in your hearts.